Hello and welcome to On The Grid podcast in collaboration with Prost International. We're on episode 16 today. I'm your host, Adrian Keita, and once again, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Harvey Todd. This week in, in the podcast, it's, go, it's probably going to be about an hour-long episode with all the news that's been happening. Uh, we've obviously got to talk about the Dutch Grand Prix that Max Verstappen won last weekend, and we're also going to be previewing the Italian Grand Prix this weekend. But I think it's best to start off with uh, the massive amount of news that we've got. Um, first topic, first hot topic off the press that was released um, before the Dutch Grand Prix was that Kimi Räikkönen is going to retire after the end of this current 2021 season. Thoughts on this, Harvey? I mean, is a is a trailblazer. Um, honestly, that World Championship in 2007 was glorious for him. He just brings memes, silence. Wah. One word to describe uh, the Finn, the Iceman, Harvey. Wah. There's your word. Uh, yeah, Kimi, although he's not the most um, out there personality, if that makes sense, he's not sort of one that's always in the cameras, you know. He still brings a bit of a charm of his own in a different way. You know, you've got Lando, who's quite sort of bubbly and very vibrant personality. And then you've got Kimi that still as as loved as, you know, other members of the paddock are, even though he says about three words, answers for every interview uh, and it's something I will miss I, I I'm not sure whether the journalists will miss it but um yeah Kimmy's a great guy um if you if you were going to ask me for my favorite Kimmy memory it'll be uh some of his just phrases like when Brundle interviewed him oh you missed the presentation by Pele and we know obviously what he said after that um and then obviously we had the I know what I'm doing leave me alone that was that was another great one all the moments from Kimmy uh, have been great. Obviously, um, he's going to be retiring after the season, which um, Lee left a Alfa Romeo seat, which has been filled by a certain Mr. Valtteri Bottas. Uh, on a multi-year deal, he's gone to Alfa Romeo and switcheroo, on contrary to that, a certain Mr. George Russell has gone to Mercedes. Everybody has been delighted. The worst kept secret ever in my opinion, because it was obvious that that man will get the Mercedes seat and he absolutely deserves it. He's had two, three seasons at Williams and he's just progressed and progressed and it showed his qualifying performances, his race performances have been brilliant this season and George Russell is stepping in that Mercedes. Um, but Harvey, we'll, we'll start off talking a bit about Valtteri Bottas because... Um, I predicted Bottas going to Alfa Romeo um, because we, we obviously heard the paddock talking that, uh, that, that Frederick Vasseur was speaking to Valtteri about a move to Alfa Romeo and it's come to fruition. Um, but what are our thoughts on, obviously, Valtteri going to Alfa Romeo? It was, it was obviously reported that he could be going back to Williams, but that's not the case as a certain other man has stepped in the Williams seat, um, as we'll talk about in a short while. But... What do we think of Bottas's move to Alfa Romeo? I think this is a good move for Valtteri. I think he needs to go back, to, go to a team where he's loved. I think Mercedes, it comes across like he's just there to play second fiddle to Lewis. You know, oh, Lewis isn't winning, Valtteri is leading. Valtteri, can you let him pass, please? Whereas, you know, if that was a, a team like Alfa Romeo, say he's beating whoever his teammate is next season, let's say just Giovinazzi for now, you know, they'll actually let him 
beat Giovinazzi because you know both team both teammates are just as important as one another and unfortunately didn't get that treatment at Mercedes and it was quite a shame to see. And now moving on to the worst kept secret in Formula One, George Russell going to Mercedes. Um, obviously, the the listeners won't see what you just did when I announced it. Um, absolutely celebrating punch of the year. But what does this move mean? Lewis Hamilton, George Russell, could there be some sort of instability? Or do we think the two of them will get along with two, I want to say, very different, uh, very different personalities? I think it will run smoothly in the first couple of races and then maybe when we get you know into the thick of it in the summer i reckon george not in a bad way will do something that lewis doesn't like beat him or something or beat him at the british grand prix that lewis doesn't really like and i think that's when the relationship potentially could go downhill or if russell's getting a couple of better results than lewis because i think it sort of does come across that way with Lewis when stuff isn't going his way he does like to moan a little bit um, I don't think it'll be as toxic I don't want to say the word toxic but as um, I don't think there'll be as much friction as there was between him and Rosberg for example but I also don't think it'll be as one-sided as it, as it has been with Hamilton and Bottas I think it'll be somewhere in the middle but on the topic of George I'm absolutely delighted for him I think he's deserved it so much and I think George Russell is the future of British motorsport going well future of British uh, Formula One going forward 100% well you you mentioned uh, I believe on last week's episode that George Russell the pride of British motorsports do you think that obviously most most people believe that he could be world champion maybe when Hamilton retires but do you think Next season with with Hamilton, with um, the likes of Russell and the likes of Verstappen, maybe it could be a free horse race uh, for the title. Um, not like this year between where it's between Hamilton and Verstappen. Yeah, I've always said if Max doesn't win, I want George to win. You know, that's and I'd be happy for that to be happening next season. If Russell beats Verstappen to the title fairly, fine by me. It's always great to have a British champion. You know, we've had such a great list of just drivers in the past, haven't we? And it'll be great to see George um, joining that list, hopefully next season. But it could be a very, very feisty season. You know, you've got Mercedes, if they get it right, Red Bull too. I think McLaren will be strong too. You know, Lando Norris will be in in and around sniffing sniffing at it. But I also think there might be another team that just comes out of nowhere maybe an Alpine or something and we may, might see Esteban Ocon in the mix you know for example something like that I think next season it especially with the racing being better I think the title fight will reflect that too. And moving on to uh, the rest of the teams we obviously saw Lance Stroll stick at Aston Martin with Seb Vettel for next season uh, Fernando Alonso will stay at Alpine with Esteban Ocon for 2022 Ferrari retain Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz Alvatari have retained Gasly and Sonoda. Haas have also retained Schumacher and Mazepin. And moving on to Williams, uh, they've signed Alex Albon to go alongside Nicholas Latifi after the departure of George Russell. Um, I think it's a perfect move. Um, Toto Wolff obviously hasn't blocked that. He's he's openly signed uh, Russell now um, at Mercedes. So I think it'll be a perfect move for Albon to get some races under his under his belt and um, potentially fight for that Red Bull seat for 2023, maybe 2024. 
with Gasly, with the uh, with Sergio Perez, and with maybe some other uh, rookies from from F two. Um, but Harvey, what what are your thoughts with um, of Albon going to Williams? Um, do you think it's a sensible move uh, from Albon to, uh, to join uh, a team like Williams? Yeah, I think it's really sensible. I think Williams are a team that's on the up. Um, you know, they're sort of res- res- resurging. Is that the word that I should use? Resurging, just, you know, they've had a difficult few years and I think now that they're really going to be on the up and hopefully they can replicate what they were doing in 2014 sort of time. Um, but yeah, Alex Albon, I'm happy to have him back in F1. I felt he got really unlucky. I think he got some very good results snatched away from him and I think had they not been snatched away from him, I think he'd have potentially kept his seat if you were looking at it on a statistical basis. You know, he probably would have won a race uh, last year. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see Alex Albon in the sport again. And um, yeah, I'll, I think it's just going to be nice to have that crop of um, young drivers, you know, back in the sport, you know, the Twitch quartet. Yeah, Lando was was very vocal uh, of it. Obviously, saying the trio is back, the trio, the F2, uh, the, 2020, uh, the 2018 uh, graduating F2 drivers, Alex Albon, George Russell, and Lando Norris are back together, uh, which is very nice to see. Um, but there's only one seat remaining for 2022, and it's the final Alfa Romeo seat. Um, I think it's only fair to have a bit of a discussion about that seat because there's only one seat to go, and the, and the grid is formed for 2022. Um, Harvey, I want to hear your thoughts. Who do you think might potentially jump in, into that seat? I've, I've got a few drivers on the list. Uh, obviously, Nick DeVries, uh, 2021 uh, Formula E champion. Teo Porcher's another one, but I think Frederick Vesser will look at him for 2023 on a multi-year deal. Uh, Guan Zhou, another one. Oscar Piastri, Nico Hulkenberg. There's, there's a list of drivers, but who do you think could potentially jump into uh, the Alfa Romeo seat for 2022. Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a whirlwind with the rumour mill with that one, hasn't it? I mean, I think this afternoon we've had Wang Yuzhou. Apparently, it's nearly done. Um, apparently, Nick DeVries isn't going to drive there next season. It's it's all swings and roundabouts, but if I had to pinpoint one driver, I would probably trust the, the accounts on Twitter and say it will be uh, Guan Yuzhou in that seat next season. And another thing, do you think, uh, obviously, the, the Formula 2 championship is in full swing, but do you think Guan Yuzhou deserves that seat? Because it's it's been reported that he's that he's paying quite a hefty bit for that seat. But do you think on, on a driver experience level, do you think that he deserves the seat, especially after two or three very good seasons in Formula 2? Obviously, Money talks, doesn't it? I mean, modern motorsport, you're not going to get anywhere without a decent financial backing. So, but if we look at it in terms of, you know, him as a driver, I think he does deserve the seat. I think it's, you know, out of that current front runners, out of the current front runners in F2, I'd probably say it's a toss up between him and Piastri. And I think both drivers do deserve it. And obviously, Alfa Romeo will make their decision in the coming days, I assume. Yeah, you'd only assume so, but hopefully the situation um, is tied up maybe before Monza or even after Monza, but there's still quite a long way to go until the season ends and hopefully uh, Alfa Romeo do make a decision uh, swiftly. But 
Moving on to the Dutch Grand Prix, uh, we'll start off with qualifying. You can't really say much really happened in qualifying and the race. It was, it was a bit boring. The weather was nice. The crowd was fantastic. But the race and qualifying was a bit, it was a bit boring. Um, but we'll start off with Q1. Obviously, there was no Kimi Raikkonen due to him testing positive for the coronavirus. Um, and Mr. Robert Kubita stepped up into the seat. Um, my favourite pole and the only pole uh, to drive in Formula One uh, stepped up into the Alfa Romeo seat. And I think he did relatively well um, qualifying in P18 uh, on the grid. But obviously, Ferrari set the early pace. Um, Topping, um, topping the standings uh, after Q1. Harvey, what did you think of Ferrari's performance in Q1? Because that Carlos Sainz crash in free practice was quite a hefty one. And seeing him and Charles Leclerc in P1 and P2 after qualifying, it was, it was quite impressive. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm not sure exactly what um, track it was earlier this year that we said uh, the Ferraris normally run well round. But Zandvoort is... I think it's going to become one of them, you know, Ferrari special tracks. Um, I thought they ran well. Obviously, this was before Max, Lewis, Bottas turned up the party modes in, in the later stages of qualifying. But it was good to see, you know, the prancing horses back at the top of the uh, timesheets once again. Um, we'll talk about the drivers eliminator because I think that's the only relative thing you can take from Q1, Q2. Um Obviously, Checo Perez qualifying a very, very abysmal, should I say, P16. He was, he was, I think he was banking on his on his final lap because he was in P11, but obviously the times kept on ramping up and ramping up. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Checo dropped out and did not qualify for Q2. But it was kind of a blessing in this car, shall we say, because Red Bull did think of, of the strategic call of putting new parts into his car and potentially it it paid dividends but more of that a bit later on but Harvey what did you as a, as a as our resident Red Bull fan what did you think of Perez on the whole in qualifying because it, it just wasn't good compared to the staff and was it no it wasn't I think like you were saying that with the times ramping up obviously it's a new circuit we had quite a, a few disruptions during free practice so people were still going to be learning the track and I think he unfortunately was just getting caught out and I think it was going to be a case of the last person to set the lap was going to get through, if that makes sense. And unfortunately he got caught out of it, uh, caught out by it. And I mean, it's just one of those things in qualifying really, isn't it? especially at a new track that's I think is quite difficult. You know, we saw quite a few people making mistakes, as I'm sure we'll get onto in Q2. And um, I mean, it is what it is, isn't it? And I think it probably worked out in his favour. Talking about another man that was qualified prem uh, that was knocked out prematurely, Sebastian Vettel. Obviously, he was impeded on his final run by the two hasses of uh, Schumacher and Mazepin. The two hasses throwing the blame onto each other, one after another. Uh, he was he was maybe expecting a few punches from Nikita Mazepin from his feisty interview, uh, but that didn't happen. And uh, Gunter Steiner will speak to them um, before obviously uh, this uh, this weekend's uh, Italian Grand Prix. Um, but it was a bit unfortunate for Sebastian, wasn't it? Because if that final run, uh, if he was able to finish that final run cleanly, maybe would he have qualified for Q2? Could have been. It could have been a case of maybe a few hundredths uh, in it between him and obviously 
what was it Sonoda that ever qualified uh but was in p15 at the end i'm not quite sure who was at the who was p15 uh, at the end of q1 um but what do you think harvey could have been the case if Seb Vettel did have a clean final run and do you think maybe a penalty should have been given to the two passes for what they did? The, the track, very little space, but could the, could the FIA have done something um, to maybe sort the situation out and to neutralise the situation, should we say? I mean, obviously with their passes starting as far back as they did, that any grid penalty wouldn't have made a difference at all. Um but um, it's all this waiting around, waiting for toe, waiting for clear track space. Just go out, set a lap. You know, if you get blocked, you get blocked. But you shouldn't be waiting, especially in the final sector. I think that can be quite dangerous. And we were mentioning it at Austria as well. Um, these short tracks with that are quite fast. You shouldn't be waiting around, waiting for whatever a toe or clean air, like I was just saying. It needs looking at by the FIA and there needs to be some harsh penalties because obviously we're going to Monza next and we all know what happened in 2019, I want to say, where we didn't get anyone setting a final lap in Q3. Yeah, you mentioned 2019, but last year's Q3 session was as scrappy. Um, so clearly the FIA need to do something uh, before Monza or even after Monza if we see another disaster class this year. Um, but the, the other three drivers that were knocked out of Q1 were... Robert Kubica, uh, Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, who finished P20 out of 20. Um, but moving on to Q2, the home favourite, Max Verstappen, ramps it up and he finishes the session in, in P1 with Charles Leclerc keeping that session, uh, keeping uh, his place inside the top three, finishing P2 and the Gazman and the Gazmobile uh, finishing P3, uh, which was very impressive. But I think we talked a little about Gasly after... after uh, during the Q3 session. Um, but red flag frenzy, let's talk about that because we saw two Williams drivers off, George Russell and Nicholas Latifi. They were obviously potentially knock out Antonio Giovinazzi uh, from, from qualifying into Q3, uh, but they were unable to do so. But what do we think of George Russell's and Nicholas Latifi's performances in general in qualifying? Because if they got the laps done cleanly, do we think they would have qualified for Q3? Because I think both the drivers were improving in sectors what uh, sectors one, uh, sectors two for George Russell as well. But obviously, uh, Nicholas Latifi crashed at turn seven, um, so he wasn't able to get uh, sector two. But do we think if they had improved their lap times, if they're taking it slightly, maybe take their foot off the throttle pedal just ever so slightly? navigate their way through uh, and across the finish line, finishing line, do we think they could have qualified for Q3? I think it would have been close. I definitely think George would have made the shootout. Latifi may have been in the mix, but I mean, Q2, you, you're giving it everything. If you're in a, a on, on paper slower car, you are going to give it your all. You're going to try your very, very best, as I'm sure everyone will. But, you know, George always gives his all in um in quali and latifi was just over the line wasn't he with um with how hard he was pushing and unfortunately the uh the car didn't like it same with george and it snapped its way into the barrier which was unfortunate of course um but we obviously saw lance straw knocked out of 
Q2 as well. And the, the real big surprise was Lando Norris getting knocked out of um, Q2 and not making it through to Q3 for the first time this season. It was a shock for everyone, I think, because of how consistent Lando was in qualifying and in the races. But it wasn't meant to be for Lando. Um, but Harvey, do we think P13 was enough that Lando could have could have pulled in qualifying for the Dutch Grand Prix? Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, like I was saying earlier, everyone was still getting to learn the track, getting to learn what lines, what breaking points work. Can you turn in late here, whatever? And I think it was just a bit... It was just a bit of bad luck for Lando. He's not particularly had any atrocious quality performances this year. This has probably been the first poor one, but I wouldn't say it was atrocious. It was just probably just a little bit unlucky for him. And then, obviously, Nicholas Latifi and uh, Yuki Tsunoda were the final two that were knocked out of Q2. Um, but moving on to Q3, Max Verstappen yet again sits a blistering lap time of a high 1.108. And obviously, it was marginally uh, quicker than Hamilton in the second. Uh, with Valtteri Bottas in third. But it was clear to see that maybe, maybe the Mercedes were sandbagging for Q1 and Q2 because it was, it was, I mean, it was hundreds between Verstappen and Hamilton for pole position. But ultimately, uh, your favourite man, Max Verstappen, came out on top. Yeah, he did. I mean, he knows that track like the back of his hand, doesn't he? And I think that did go a long way, but I think the car was just perfect for him. And he didn't even need DRS coming on the on the final front straight at the end of the session. He he was that lap was that perfect, and I have to say it was a thoroughly deserved pole position. There's, he was pretty much top of the timesheets all the way through the weekend, apart from Q1. I want to say, um, and yeah, I thought it was a, a fantastic first half of the weekend. But obviously, you've got it all to do on Sunday. It wasn't as perfect as you say, Harvey, because Max did say that he had to, that he did have to. Uh, he did have some problems, especially out of turn three, where he where he um, had to shift from from fourth to sixth gear out of the blue uh, because of because of that bumpy curve, uh, but curve and the nature of it. But it was it was essentially perfect, and it got him on uh, pole position with Hamilton in second and Valtteri Bottas in third. Um, like we said, like I said, uh, we'll mention the Gazman and the Gazmobile, and I think it's only fair to mention the Gazman and the Gazmobile uh, this time around. Uh, the Gazman, I'll say it again, the Gazman qualified P4. P4, what an impressive performance from uh, Gasly, obviously putting it on the second row alongside Valtteri Bottas. But these consistent, very good performances from Gasly, do we think that it could promote him into a better car, maybe after next year, after the Gasman, in another Gasmobile, in a quicker Gasmobile, can do a better job. Yes, I think it's only going to be a matter of time. It's if, it's when, not if, um, with Pierre. I think he's a very, he's a, he's a top contender for that second Red Bull seat. Um, but then who's to say... You know, he could replace Lewis in Mercedes, and I think that'd be very well deserved too. Um, Ricardo, if he decides to leave McLaren, he might decide to step in. It, it's also it is, it, the thing is with Pierre; he's such a good driver. He's he could fit in anywhere. He's you know he's done it before. He's fit into a couple of different teams, and I think he can do it again. It all depends if Helmut Marko wants him back at Red Bull, of course. Um, but 
we'll have to wait and uh, wait and see until next year. Um, but obviously, the Ferrari's very quality P5 and P6 for Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, especially after Sainz's accident at Turn 3 and 3 practice. Um, but I think we have to praise another man that qualified P7, Antonio Giovinazzi. I don't think he gets enough praise because with Kimi Raikkonen obviously missing, Antonio was, should we say, the lead driver, the most experienced driver uh, in the Alfa Romeo um, team. And putting it, putting Alfa Romeo into P7, maybe dot, did not reflect it into the race and get a, get a points finish. But P7 and qualifying in an Alfa Romeo car, brilliant. Yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise, wasn't it, with Giovinazzi? I think at the moment he's fighting for his seat, so he's going to give everything that he possibly can. He's going to try and get every little ounce of that car around the track as quickly as possible. Um I thought he had a, a stellar qualifying performance. I thought it was fantastic. Um, had the Williams not retired from Q2, it may have been a different story, but you've got to be there to take advantage of other people's misfortunes, and he did that perfectly in qualifying. Yeah, let's not take it away from him as well. He, he out-qualified two Alpine cars and a McLaren uh, in Q3 with Ocon and Alonso finishing P8 and P9 and Daniel Ricciardo in P10. Um, but moving on to the race... We obviously saw um, the two uh, cars of Nicholas Latifi and uh, Sergio Perez start from the pit lane. But I think we talk about Sergio Perez because, again, Batman shows how easily that Red Bull can whiz around a track and overtake. Personal favourite for him must have been that chicane, turn 11, turn 12, because he, I think he made about three or four moves at that chicane, and it was brilliant. Obviously, he started from the pit lane and finished in P8. But generally, Harvey, as as, as the Red Bull fan, what did you th- what did you make of um, Red Bull's weekend? Because Max Verstappen obviously started first and finished first, and Perez clawed back, clawed his way back from, shall we say, effectively P19, P20, to finish inside the points, and it was just brilliant um, for him to gain some points after what has been a very tough couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, Sergio is a fantastic recovery driver, isn't he? I mean, I think he did it in Bahrain. can't 100% remember. I think he did it in Bahrain, yeah, he did. And I think he did one during the middle of the season too. Um, yeah, Checo proving his worth. And I think he had he not missed out on that Q3 spot, I think he could have been up there to, you know, give the Mercedes a little bit more of a headache than they already had during the race. Most definitely. Moving on to, uh, obviously, Mercedes' weekend. They started P2 and P3, and they ultimately finished P2 and P3 with Hamilton ahead of Bottas. But it was it was very interesting to see that team orders were still in play, even though, realistically, Bottas had, had on his mind that, technically, he'd already signed for Alfa Romeo. It was just released at the start of this week, essentially. Um, but do we think... Maybe if we saw a bit of a feisty Bottas, maybe we could have seen the Gazman uh, on for a podium and whatnot. But what did you think of Mercedes as a whole? Because they, they, they did a good job. They've held their lead at the top of the Constructors' Championship, but Hamilton's losing out by three points to Verstappen at this point in, in the Drivers' Championship. It wasn't a bad weekend for their standards, obviously. They took home more points than Red Bull, which was quite important for them. Um, 
with Mercedes, they just couldn't get past Max. And I think that was the, the one thing that they would have liked to have done. They tried, they couldn't do it on track, so they tried to do it in the pit line, and that obviously didn't didn't come to fruition either. Um, but all in all, I think it was an okay weekend for Mercedes. They obviously did concede the the drivers' championship lead, but crucially for them, they um, stepped back up to the top of the constructors. Most definitely, most definitely. It wasn't a poor weekend, but it was Hamilton would have been wanting that race victory to extend his championship lead. But now he trails by three points and makes the staff in. But moving on to P3 in the Constructors' Championship, we'll go team by team in the Constructors. Uh, and it is Ferrari. They've made their way up to P3 after a quality um, Dutch Grand Prix. Scholler close started P5 and finished P5 with Carlos Sainz starting P6 and finishing P7 after and Fernando Alonso caught up to him and he had to unfortunately um, concede the position to the experienced Spaniard. But on the whole, Ferrari have done tremendously well to capitalise on McLaren's mistakes, shall we say, and after um, they only scored one point through Lando Norris, in, uh, Lando Norris uh, finishing P10. But on the whole, Harvey, Ferrari have taken the upper hand heading into Monza and with with the track being the home of a Tafosi, the Scuderia surely will be gunning to extend that lead uh, at Monza, that is. Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting weekend. I think the battle for third will be a tasty one. Um, I think, I th- I'm sure we'll get on to predictions later on. Part of me thinks they're going to do well, but part of me thinks they're going to have a bit of a stinker. I'm not sure. Well, I'm hoping that they're having a positive weekend. Thank you very much, my Red Bull fan. <laughs> um, but moving on to uh, fourth place in the Constructors, uh, McLaren. I think, I want to say it was a bit of a weekend to forget for McLaren because Lando Norris wasn't firing on all cylinders. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo didn't essentially pick up the pieces and team orders did come into play for Lando to score a point. Maybe Drivers' Championship um, is more important for Lando than constructors, in my opinion, because he has conceded P3 to Valtteri Bottas last weekend due to him obviously scoring one point. But do you think that's the case, Harvey? Do you think that our teamwork uh, that we've that we've spoken about in McLaren, the harmony, do you think that's maybe gone out the window ever so slightly and Lando is a bit more power-hungry, power a bit more wanting that P3 and the constructors instead of the P3 and, uh, P3 and the drivers, should I say, instead of the P3 and the constructors? I mean, if, if they're going to score one point anyway, they're going to want to have it as the, the main driver. And if, you know, if it was, unfortunately, Ricardo had to concede it. But I suppose drivers' championship for McLaren is quite important because obviously in recent years, they've not had something like that this they've not been as high up as they have been in previous years. Most definitely. And I think that Norris will be wanting to um, get that third place back from Valtteri Bottas, but we'll have to wait and see if that happens in Monza, that is. Uh, But moving on to P5 and the Constructors' Championship battle, and that is Alpine. Esteban Alcon started P8, uh, but finished P9 after Sergio Perez overtook him in the dying Emmys. And Fernando Alonso started P9, but obviously finished P6, an impressive P6 for the experienced Spaniard because his first lap overtakes. I mean, it's just vintage, vintage Alonso coming back again. It's like it's like you see him in P9 at one point and then, bam, he's over in P6 at another. 
it's just it's just good to see that he's getting into grips back after having a short break from Formula One and he's constantly improving and maybe he could he could deliver our plan as people as as people as Alpine fans have been calling it in recent times. Yeah, I noticed during the race start a couple of people went low on the bank and it turned three and Alonso just soars around the outside of them and I thought I didn't know why both Ferraris went low. Maybe that was a strategy to keep them out of trouble because that was one of my worries. How will everyone funnel from turn two into turn three? Um, but Alonso didn't care. He just went round the outside and made the most of it. It's as if you're saying he sent it. Yes, I did send it. But that's that's not what he said. That's that's a different Spaniard that has that catchphrase. Um, but moving on to Alvatari and... Another praise for the Gasman of the Gasmobile because he, he kept his position. He kept it clean. He was he was a man on a mission. Essentially, what he did was, okay, I'm in P4. I need to show Red Bull Bottas, Christian Horner, Dr. Helmut Marco, why I am worth a better seat. Because essentially what he did was just kept that position, kept it clean, kept his head down and kept it cool. Um, but obviously his teammate... Yuki Tsunoda, unfortunately, did not finish the race. From a from a Gasly standpoint, where do you think the Frenchman stands? Because he's dying for a better seat at in a better car. And like you said, it's it's not it's not when it's a matter of it's a, it's a matter of when should I say not if he gets a seat in a better car and hopefully he can deliver but what he's doing to Alvatari is completely transform the team single-handedly yeah uh, I'm not 100% sure on whether Perez has had a just a one-year deal extension or a two-year deal but if it's just the one he could be a a very worthy contender for the for the 2023 seat obviously it all depends what happens in the in the driver market that year but I think into 2023 at I wouldn't bet against Gasly making a return to Red Bull. Just to confirm, Sergio Perez did sign the one-year contract extension for the, the 2022 season, so potentially Gasly could return. But like I said at the start of the podcast, it's, it's whether Helmut Marko wants to bring Gasly back after that mistake, what is it, two years now? Um, but it's clearly proven that he's improved, he's matured and he's ready uh, for that seat at Red Bull instead of when he just came into Toro Rosso and they chucked him into uh, the Red Bull seat. But moving on to Aston Martin, and again, by their standards, the pink the pink Mercedes from last season is, cha- is changed green. It's not been performing one bit. It's, it's outside the points. It's, it's seventh in the championship, potentially being hunted by Williams. <laughs> They're only 33 points behind them. Um, but what do we think of Aston Martin as a whole through the Dutch Grand Prix and maybe even the first half of the season? Because from what they did last year as, as racing points, it's been nothing like that. It's been, I don't want to say abysmal, but it's been relatively bad. Yeah, I think for, for them, their weekend was sort of ruined in qualifying, wasn't it? Stroll didn't qualify well. Seb had his... his um, like ruined at the end and I suppose it's just a bit of damage and rotation try and sneak a couple of points if you can um, 
But yeah, not the best, not a weekend to remember for him, was it? No, it was relatively poor from Aston Martin. Um, but Williams couldn't replicate the week from Hungary and the Spa. They missed out on points. Uh, obviously, George Russell started 11th, but he was classified um, as P7, uh, as P16 or P17, one of the two. Um, but obviously, he did not finish for race. Um, after I think he, I think he pitted uh, at the end of at the end of it would have been lap if um, the, the, the last stages of the race that is, um, and he did not finish in Latifi uh, after a pit lane start. Could only finish P sixteen. Obviously, you weren't expecting much from Williams because it's Williams. They they were steadily on the up with the double points finish in Hungary and in Spa, but those two races were chaotic and with the nature of Zandvoort hard to overtake and essentially they weren't able to uh, do anything um, throughout the race but Harvey what do you think of uh, the performance from Williams it wasn't it wasn't poor it wasn't impressive it was it was Williams standard should I say in quotation marks yeah like I was saying with Aston Martin Again, another team that had their weekend sort of ruined in quality. It's it reminds me of Monaco slightly. Like if you have a poor quality, you're going to have a poor race. Um, if you don't make moves on the first lap, you're going to struggle too. Because I mean, as we saw in a couple of races throughout the weekend, you know, it soon became a procession after about half a lap. And yeah, it wasn't. I, I didn't particularly think it was a good race track. I thought it was better track if that makes sense, not a racetrack. Um, and unfortunately, Williams fell foul of it. Should we call it an old-fashioned F1 track? I think that's that's a, that's a good way of uh, labelling Zambort. Um, but moving on to P9 and the constructors, it is Alfa Romeo. Giovinazzi, obviously, after his fantastic qualifying, could not deliver a point finish as he finished 14th. And Kubica made his way from 16th to 15th on his... Alfa Romeo official uh, race debut as he's the reserve driver at the team. Uh, Alfa Romeo, I don't think relatively did bad, but yet again, it was just it was just maybe should we say the strategy because Giovinazzi was on a strategy call. Um, Kubica just kind of yeah, he was just kind of there for for fun's sake, should we say, um, as he replaced Kimi Raikkonen. But Alfa Romeo just. Not their track, should we say? Not the strategy, not the right cause. It was just a bit of a mishmash for them. Yeah, mishmash is probably the best way to put it, really. I was surprised to see Giovinazzi fall down the order um, as much as he did. I did think he'd he'd gone to get his second points finish of the season. Obviously, that hasn't happened. And yeah, it, it's a tricky one. Obviously, you've got Kubica, who's come back in after nearly two years out of the sport so it's always going to be difficult for him to just jump into a car and hopefully perform um yeah Alfa Romeo weekend to forget but hopefully they can have a, a strong home Grand Prix in Monza Abu Dhabi 2019 was Kubica's last last race so it, it's, it's about two years now um but for, for Haas the less said about them the better I think Schumacher finished 18th Mazepin did not finish. It's normal Haas. What else can you can you say about Haas? They've not scored a point this year. Well, 
unless, unless, like you said, they could have capitalised on a topsy-turvy race, which they didn't, Williams did, and they scored their first points in Hungary, but I don't see Haas scoring any points anytime soon. I think they're going to have to bank on 2022 for some sort of godsend uh, if they are to score points in the next couple of years of F1, in, in F1, uh, if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, capitalise on topsy-turvy race. The most topsy-turvy race we've had this season was probably Hungary and Baku, and Mick Schumacher finished 13th in Baku and 12th in Hungary. So, you know, it, obviously there was a, quite a few retirements in all of them races, so they're obviously going to get pushed up the order a little bit. But still, I think if it's going to be anyone to score a point, I think it'll be Schumacher. I think his race craft and racing etiquette's a lot better than Nikita Mazepin, who sometimes can be a little bit of a liability, can't he? Very, very true. Um, but that, that's uh, the race finished. Obviously, the race order was as follows. Verstappen won the race with Hamilton and Bottas competing the podium in P2 and P3. Gasly and the Gasmobile finished in fourth. Leclerc, fifth. Alonso, sixth. Sainz, seventh. Perez, eighth. Ocon, ninth. And Norris, tenth. With Ricardo Stroll, Vettel, Giovinazzi, Kubica, Latifi, Russell and Schumacher, the final finishers. Russell obviously was classified, but he did not finish. Um, with the non-finishers being Yuki Tsunoda and Nikita Mazepin. Um, but let's move on to our Monza preview. Uh, this weekend's Italian Grand Prix, the Temple of Speed. Drivers going full throttle for 75% of the lap. Could be very interesting with these cars. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it, goes to, it goes to show that it, it, I think it will be Red Bull versus Mercedes again probably arguably the two quickest cars on the grid. Um, but Monza has produced so many iconic moments. Uh, one moment, Gasly's, sh- should we say shock? It was a shock after uh, Hamilton obviously got his penalty. Uh, Gasly won last year's race and obviously Vettel's first win, in wet, uh, his first ever win uh, at, uh, in F1 in wet conditions at Monza back in 2008. But Harvey, Memory, memory's sake, what sort of memories stick out for you um, when the F1 have been at Monza? I've, I've mentioned two there, but there's there's surely quite a few um, that stick out. The, yeah, there's, I'm not, I can't pinpoint the exact year, but Vettel and Hamilton colliding um, a couple of years ago, obviously Leclerc's win that sent the Tifosi absolutely balmy. And then obviously Pierre Gasly's win last year personal favourite of mine. I'd probably have to say Pierre Gasly's win. But it's, it's going to be a very interesting race. Um, the final of a triple, of a European triple header before we ship off to um, Asia slash Europe, whatever you want to call it, but it's Russia um, in, in three weeks' time. Uh, two weeks, three weeks' time. Um, but let's move on to our predictions for qualifying. Before my before I lose my voice, as we have been going on for close to an hour, and um, that's how much information we've had, that's how much news we've had in the past week. But for qualifying, I've gone for Max Verstappen getting pole position. Uh, I think that after last weekend's Dutch Grand Prix, I think confidence uh, will be with the Dutchman. I think he will get pole position with Hamilton in P2, Bottas in P3. And I think that like you said, Harvey, I think it could be a make-or-break uh, weekend for Ferrari 
and I think it'll be a positive one. Uh, that's why I've put Charles Leclerc in P4 with Carlos Sainz, uh, not Carlos Sainz, sorry, Sergio Perez in P5. But Harvey, what are your thoughts ahead of qualifying for the 2021 um, Italian Grand Prix? Two things. Um, the first one, sprint qualifying, my personal favourite, obviously. I love sprint quality. I can't stand it. Please get it gone. Um, I just think it just doesn't work. And I mean, it would probably be more entertaining than what we've had in recent years, obviously, with the, the whole messing about waiting for a tow down the straights and stuff obviously justifiable drivers want to get the toes and stuff but it's 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 annoying to see and you, you can't go around doing it yeah that's true but obviously with with qualifying in mind what do you think your top five for quality ahead of the sprint race will be lining up on pole for the sprint race will be max verstappen um, in second will be Sergio Perez. I think Red Bull are going to use that to their advantage. I think Perez and Verstappen will work together. Perez will probably give Verstappen a toe down the straight. In P3, I'm going Pierre Gasly. Um, I think, obviously, not part of the Red Bull, Red Bull, Red Bull anymore, but I think he'll sort of tag along to someone behind and then the two Mercedes lining up in fourth and fifth for the sprint race. Wow. I mean, I wasn't expecting the Mercedes to P4 and P5. Um, but yeah, the dreaded sprint quality, of course, a couple of laps around Monza before the, the, the grid, the grid in quotation marks is set. I just really can't be bothered for sprint quality. But for sprint quality, I've gone with Max Verstappen holding on to pole position, pole position in quotation marks because sprint quality, of course. I've gone with Charles Leclerc making his way up to P2 uh, for, for, for sprint quality uh, ahead, of a, ahead of a race. I've gone with Hamilton in P3, uh, Bottas in P4, and I've gone for Gasly and Gasmobile uh, in P5. Um, but Harvey, what are your thoughts for the dreaded, the boring, whatever you want to call it, sprint quality at Monza. So, sprint quality, I'm going for Max Verstappen to win the sprint race. Uh, Hamilton in second, He'll those two will line up side by side, going into turn one in the actual race. Lando Norris P3, Pierre Gasly P4, and Sergio Perez P5. And moving on to the race, yeah, I've got myself a certain Mr. Lewis Hamilton making it way, making his way up way from P3 to P1, um, and I think he will win uh, the Italian Grand Prix. I think he'll be wanting to get one up on uh, Verstappen, and I think he will get the race victory. I think that Max will finish P2 though, and Charles Leclerc uh, will claim a podium in front of it in front of a Tifosi. Uh, I've gone with Bottas finishing P4 and I've gone with Checo Perez uh, finishing the race in a strong P5. Harvey, finally, what are your thoughts ahead of a race? I think it's going to be chaotic. I think it's not going to be as topsy-turvy as, say, Hungary or Azerbaijan. However, I think it will be a good race. Um, and I think in the end, I think Lewis Hamilton will come home to take his 100th uh, Formula 1 victory. Um, ahead of Verstappen obviously Hamilton will reclaim the championship lead 
P3, we'll go to Pierre Gasly. He'll taste that uh, sweet Italian champagne once again. Valtteri Bottas in P4 with Lando Norris in P5. Well, we're in for a cracker of a race if those predictions do come to fruition. But that's all we have time for in episode 16. I've been your host, Adrian Keaton. I've been joined once more by Harvey Todd. We'll be back um, on the podcast next week um, as we look over um, the Italian Grand Prix. But ultimately, thank you, everybody, for listening and goodbye.